Most people would agree that recessions are terrible things. They cause widespread fear amongst people that will be anxious about their savings, their livelihood, or even their next meal, and on a nationwide level, economic downturns are events akin to natural disasters. They do massive damage, and for the most part, are widely accepted by society as an inevitability rather than a rarity. But do we actually need recessions? Most economic downturns are in fact entirely man-made, and are ultimately the result of people saying, you know what? I don't want to materially improve my quality of life just for a little while. We will see exactly how this works later on in the video, but the takeaway here is that this is a man-made issue that should be entirely possible to undo with the same kind of man-made response, right? To add to this, for most of human history, we didn't really experience economic recessions as we know them today. Even in societies with very, very complex economic systems, we saw good times and bad times for sure, but that was almost always the result of something tangible, like wars or droughts or any of that other fun stuff. The few purely economic downturns that did exist outside of this were extremely few and far between, and it was a huge departure from the modern world where we almost forecast that a recession has to come around every decade or so, or else we start making predictions about how we are overdue for the next crash. So this all begs the question, do we actually need these recessions? And to properly explore this, we need to, as always, break the question down into a few key parts. What is a recession, outside of the generic can response of two quarters of negative growth? Why have they become so prevalent? And are they actually all that bad? If we can go a ways to understanding these questions, we may not have to take any of these mysterious economic events for granted ever again. This is an Economics Explained video. If you enjoy these videos, please consider liking and subscribing. But without further ado, let's really understand the economic boogeyman that is a recession. So most people watching these videos would already have a relatively foundational knowledge of economics, and I would hazard a guess that at least a few of you are saying, well, this is so simple. A recession is just two quarters of negative growth. Done and dusted. Video over. And you know what? This is technically true. At least this is how we measure a recession. But the two quarters of negative growth is more of a symptom of a recession rather than its true underlying cause. Things that cause recessions basically come in two flavors, demand shocks and supply shocks. For regular folks, the supply side recessions are probably the easiest to understand. Let's take a relatively small island nation as an example for our little economy here and say that their industries are made up of farming, fishing, and tourism primarily. This is kind of the case for most small Pacific Island nations, so we're not straying too far from the reality here. Now let's say that there is a massive hurricane that hits this little hypothetical nation, completely wrecking its fishing fleet, flooding its farmlands, and blowing over all of its lovely hotels. Well obviously, this nation is not going to be able to output as much, and if it takes more than two quarters to get back up to speed on everything, well, they are going to have by definition gone into a recession. These are the types of recessions that we tend to see throughout history, but in reality, they would actually be called something else. Something like a famine or a tragedy or whatever it may be. This is partially because people didn't really study economics as a discipline throughout history, but more so because there is just something more logical to point the fingers at for the collective misery of the nation. To use our example of this little island economy, it's possible that most people would just say that the nation is going through a bit of a rough patch rebuilding from a disaster without actually calling it a recession, even though that's technically what it is. 
All of these examples are supply-side recessions. These external events have massively decreased the ability of the nation to provide goods and services, and since growth is measured in GDP, and GDP is the measurement of the consumption of goods and services, and since you can't consume goods and services if there are none to consume, you get a recession. Cool. This all makes sense, but in reality these types of recessions are pretty rare these days, especially if you look at a nation like the United States. It's unlikely that any kind of normal natural disaster is going to have enough of an impact to really single-handedly push the whole nation into a recession. Oh well, apart from that one. Now as a blanket statement to answer the question presented in this video, do we need these types of recessions? Well yeah. Short of completely controlling for every war or natural disaster, union strike or trade deal gone awry, there just really isn't any way to stop these sorts of events coming around. All that you can really do is ensure that your economy is big enough and diverse enough to sort of tank these adverse events. For a more in-depth discussion on this topic, you can watch our video on the economics of disasters. But for now, let's look at the second type of recession, a demand-based recession. These are the ones that are far, far more common and are pretty much the driver of the decade-long business cycle that we've more or less come to expect today. Demand-based downturns are far more difficult to understand because they are sort of hard to look at rationally. At their most foundational level, demand-based economic recessions are just people electing not to consume as much. Not because there isn't as much to consume, but simply because there are forces at play that dictate they simply don't want to as much. Consumer confidence is a big determinant of this. If people are unsure if they are going to have jobs in the future, or if their hours are already being cut, they are going to be much less likely to spend what money they do have on bottle service at the club, or shake weights, or game of girl bathwater, or whatever else it is that our economy runs on these days. Instead, they will just hold on to their money to make sure that they will have enough if they do end up losing their jobs to pay for the bare essentials. Again, since economic growth is measured in GDP, and GDP is a function of consumption, less consumption means less GDP and less growth. So if this kind of more conservative consumer spending goes on for more than two quarters, hey presto, you've got yourself a recession. So why is it that these sorts of events happen so frequently these days, and why didn't it happen in the past? Around the turn of the previous century, there was a fundamental shift in a select few nations, most notably the United States. The Great War was over and the age of mechanization had begun. Machines were being utilized for all areas of production. Once artisanal factory units were being converted into production lines that were feeding an increasingly intricate national supply chain. And this all meant for the first time in history, mankind was no longer constrained by how much it could produce, but rather only by how much the producer could convince people to buy. In the past, things like farms and basic factories were desperately trying to keep up with the needs of the people. But if we think about our reality today, we will see that we waste tremendous amounts of food and are probably not really producing as much stuff as we could if we had an endless customer base. Think of an automaker like Ford, for example. They produce around 7 million cars a year, but if they really wanted to, they could easily produce 20 million. The only thing that they are actually limited by is how many of those cars that they can sell. If the consumer demand for Ford cars is 7 million cars a year, you better believe they aren't going to produce anymore because that would be a horrendous waste of money to make all of that inventory that they are then going to have to store or sell off at a massive discount. 
The consumer's ability to consume has become the bottleneck in a modern global economy. So this is why we pay so much attention to it. Now that we understand how and why consumers are as important as they are, it's important to understand what it is that makes them work. How much a consumer can consume is a long-term function of two things, how much they earn and how much they want to spend. If people earn more money, it stands to reason that they will be able to buy more stuff, and if they spend a larger portion of their paycheck, it will also stand to reason that they will be able to buy more stuff. During good times, this sort of feeds off itself. Lower unemployment means that people can demand higher wages because employees are harder to come by, so businesses have to pay up, and perhaps more importantly, people are happy to spend a little bit more of their cash because they fall into the trap of thinking that these good times will go on forever. This all gets so much more interesting though when you take debt into consideration. Economists argue about the long-term impacts of debt, but in reality debt needs to be paid back, so the actual effects are relatively minor over a long enough time period in most cases. It's really in the short and medium term that debt is particularly influential, and that is because it can give consumers a massive boost to their consumptive power. We explore this in much more detail in our first video in this series, Do We Need Debt? But for now, let's consider our auto manufacturer from earlier. Most people will struggle to pay for a car in cash, but if you offer them car loans, they will be able to get into their brand new Ford Fiesta for only $300 a month over the next 120 months. What a win, right? Offering this type of debt will mean more people will be able to buy more houses and cars and boats and buy new golf clubs and fancy dinners on their No Limit American Express cards. And wow, isn't this great? This is an economy that is producing an extremely high standard of living for its participants, which in reality is the only goal of an economy. The problem of course arises the next year when the latest model Ford Fiesta comes out and nobody wants to buy it because they still have 9 years left on their loan and they're trying to save some extra cash to pay down their American Express bill. Demand-based economic downturns can be caused by anything that scares consumers, really. But the thing that scares consumers most is debt, and knowing that they need to find some way to pay for yesterday. Okay, so in a nutshell, most recessions happen today because people living in modern developed nations today are spoiled brats that get scared by their own excess. They have more than they know what to do with and gorge themselves living beyond their means and regret it later when the bill arrives. Most economists are well and truly on top of this reality and have come to accept it. But is there an alternative? Well yes, we actually already have some systems in place to alleviate these dramatic ups and downs. They are counter-cyclical fiscal policy and counter-cyclical monetary policy. We are seeing this right now in the world today with nations giving out huge stimulus checks to everybody while dropping interest rates, all in an attempt to boost economic activity to counteract the effects of this global economic crisis. But of course, most of you watching already knew about these economic policies, and for the most part, they're more of a band-aid solution to the issue rather than actually something that stops them from existing. At the most fundamental level, no, we do not need recessions. They do not need to exist. But to get rid of them, we just need to massively reduce the debt that people get access to and limit output below what people actually demand. By doing this, you effectively stop the global economic machine overheating by just letting it idle along. Therein lies the problem. Recessions are actually the sign of a healthy economy, at least in the long term. 
Recessions are an effective way of economies sorting out their issues so that the next boom can be even better. Recessions alleviate misallocated debt, overspeculated markets, and avoids slack labour. They are, in a way, the economic equivalent of cutting off the fat, which is seen most prominently in employment. One of the greatest casualties of a recession is employment figures. Leaders see high unemployment rates and they think of people lined up outside job centres or welfare offices and it's all around a pretty awful outcome. But it does have some underlying advantages. When lots and lots of people lose their jobs, there are going to be lots of people looking for new jobs. Which is great for the businesses that are still operating during a recession because they will get to bring on more high skilled staff and they will truly get to pick and choose who it is that they bring on board. If there is only 10 job listings and 100 people looking for work, then this means that the businesses that are hiring may be able to bring on board a Harvard MBA as a junior analyst, who in theory should excel in their role. This makes the business that much more efficient and means that they will be able to produce more and more output. The opposite is also true. If we are in an economy approaching full employment and a company is looking to hire a new senior manager, it will very quickly find that it's very hard to fill this position. Everybody who is qualified will already have work and perhaps the only option you have is to attract someone who is already employed to come over to your company by offering them a higher salary. If all businesses are doing this and they are going to have far higher staffing costs which means that they will just have to pass this along to their consumers as more expensive goods and suddenly you have inflation. You may have heard the term Nehru before and this stands for the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. But the same thing is true for lots and lots of things in an economic boom, not just employment. And this is one of the key drawbacks of sustained prosperity. Things just get too damn expensive, which means that people's actual quality of life is not improving, even though GDP figures look really great. It's just all down to inflation. Recessions control a lot of this by allowing the economy to really catch its breath. Decide what it is that is working, what it is that is not, and allocating those resources by force to industries that are going to deliver the greatest sustained benefit to society in the long term. Recessions are not a necessity, but they do serve a purpose. In the same way that nobody really enjoys an intense workout or a diet plan, Sometimes a bit of short-term pain is worthwhile for a more sustained long-term benefit. The idea that a recession will help to reallocate resources and assist with long-term economic growth may provide little comfort to those that have lost their jobs or their business or their retirement savings, but it is still the reality. If we look at the economies that have been, it's hard to find examples of economic crises as we know them today. And that's not because people back then were better economic managers or even because they were more responsible with debt. It's just that they weren't on the same rocket ship of growth that we are here today. Recessions are simply the product of prosperity. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking, subscribing, and leaving a comment in the comment section below. If you really enjoyed the video, please consider supporting us on Patreon like these lovely people did. It really helps to make these kinds of videos possible. Otherwise, Q&A session will be hosted tomorrow, guys. So I hope to see you all over there on our second channel. Cheers. Bye.